Guys, if you brought your Bible, I would encourage you to, to look with us in John chapter 13 today. It's going to be kind of the basis of, of where we are throughout this, uh, this message. And we'll grab a few other verses and bring into that mix. But uh, John 13 is going to be kind of the, 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 the anchor of where we're going to be today. Uh, as I said in my prayer, we are in the midst of this week leading up to Easter. It was a busy, busy week for Jesus. There was a lot of things that he still had to do, a lot of prophecies that had been predicted in the Old Testament that were, were needing to be fulfilled. Everything from him riding into town on this, this colt uh, led by a donkey. Uh, we, we see all kinds of things that Scripture would say, uh, just as it was written in the Old Testament, so it had to be. And Jesus understood very, very clearly who he was. He understood very clearly where he was headed and what was about to happen to him. I think sometimes it's easy to think that that Jesus was just kind of going through the motions, living his life, doing his thing, and, and man, he stepped out of line, and they grabbed him, and they crucified him, and before you know it, everything was, was done. That's not the way that it happened at all. Uh, all the events leading up to the crucifixion, in, including the crucifixion, had been prophesied in the Old Testament, and Jesus was very much aware of what was before him. And in John chapter 13, he's winding down this ministry, and he's come to the night before now, the night before he's going to be arrested and, uh, and, and Jesus brings his disciples together. They've prepared to observe the feast of the Passover together. And so in John chapter 13, I want us to kind of pick up, and, and we're going to cover a lot of verses today, but I want the scripture to speak to you and let you see kind of how Jesus responded. And what I want us to see today in this message is, is how Jesus loved those who disappointed him. How Jesus loved those who let him down. How Jesus loved even the one that was going to betray him and, and, and place him in the hands of those that would execute him. And then I want to challenge you at the end today to look at how you respond to your critics. How you respond to those who have failed you. Those who have betrayed you. Those who have abandoned you. Those who've left you disappointed. And so that's where we're going to go together today. And we're going to begin here in John chapter 13 verse 1. Let's, uh, let's look at this passage together. He says, now, it says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, remember, Jesus understood all that was about to happen to him. He, he knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The NIV says he showed them the full extent of his love. In this passage, we see that Jesus understood everything that was about to happen to him. In fact, in, in John chapter 12, if you want to turn back just a chapter or so in your Bible, in John chapter 12, Jesus has, has just told them uh, what is about to take place. In uh, John chapter 12, verse 27, he says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? In other words, Jesus says, man, my heart is heavy. I know what is coming. And, and what should I do? Should I pray for God to deliver me? Should I pray for God to, to, to keep me from the cross? Should I pray for, 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 for God to, 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 to just yank me out of this situation? And then quickly he says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. This is why I was sent, Jesus would say. As he talks about this, this passage, he, re, he reminds him in John chapter 12 that th th this is heavy on my heart, yes, but this is why I was sent. This is the purpose for which I've come to this hour. And so he prays, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. 
God had glorified himself through Jesus' life, and now he's going to glorify himself through Jesus' death and through his resurrection. So we see that Jesus is very much aware of of where he's headed and what, what lies ahead of him. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of knowing everything that would happen in the next 24 to 36 hours of Jesus' life, he focuses on loving his disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody told me I had 36 hours left to live and I was going to die a horrible death, I was going to be betrayed by all my family, my friends, and everybody that knew me, probably the last thing on my mind would be loving the people that were about to walk away from me. Loving the one that was going to betray me. Loving the ones that would would abandon me when the guards showed up. If if I had just a few hours left to live, and I knew that those who were the closest to me were going to leave me, I don't know that my focus would be upon them. In fact, my focus would probably be on a, a plane ticket or a bus ticket or some way to get out of this situation. Most of us will do anything and everything we can to avoid painful situations, to avoid death, to avoid anything that, that might come in, in, in and be harmful to us, but not Jesus. Even in the, in the full knowledge of what's about to happen, Jesus is, is bound and determined to show them his love to the very end. So verse 2, back in John chapter 13, verse 2 says, So during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, so Judas has already gone and struck the deal, with, with the religious leaders. He's already come in and said, hey, what will you give me to hand Jesus over to you? And they've already struck the deal. So he's already put it in Judas's heart what he's going to do to betray Jesus. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Now, let me stop right there for just a second, okay? Jesus is about to serve his disciples by washing their feet. That doesn't sound like a big deal in our day. But back in that day, that was a menial task that many house servants wouldn't even have been required to do. And Jesus is about to serve his disciples and to show them the full extent of his love. But, but here we are. The devil's already prompted Judas Iscariot. The betrayal is, is, is just right around the corner. But look at, look at what Jesus is. And this is so critical for you and I. If you, if you can grab something this morning, grab this, okay? Jesus knew who he was. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. He knew that he had come from God, and he knew that he was headed back to God. In order for you and I to fully embrace the the servanthood that Jesus calls us to, we have got to know our identity in Christ. A person who doesn't know who they are in Christ will never be the servant that Jesus calls them to do. You know why? They're going to be so busy running around trying to prove to people their worth trying to prove to people that they are someone of value. And if you're still trying to prove to people who you are, you're not going to lower yourself to serve them. You're going to be so busy trying to impress them that you'll never be able to impact them. Jesus understood who he was. And if you and I want to be the servants that God's called us to be, the servants that he's going to call us to today, then we have got to know who we are in Christ. We need to know who the Bible says that we are. We need to know what we are worth to Jesus. Because we'll never master this deal of servanthood until we are content with who we are in Christ, until we fully understand that. So Jesus understood it. And because he understood it, verse 4 says, And he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Think about this. Jesus, he he strips down. He, He wraps himself with a towel. 
He's going to pick up a basin and begin to wash these dirty feet that have walked the, the, the streets of Jerusalem, sweaty, nasty, all day long. I wonder, as I read this, that Jesus laid aside his outer garments. What it would take and what we would need to lay aside in order to serve others. Jesus didn't just have to lay aside some clothing, but Jesus had, well, I say Jesus had to lay aside pride. I don't think, I don't think pride was there in Jesus, but I think that that was one of the things that Jesus had done. He had humbled himself as a servant. And I think for us to be able to serve as Jesus served, we're going to have to lay aside some pride. We're going to have to lay aside some prestige. We're going to have to lay aside the, the, the opinions of others if we're ever going to serve the way that Jesus wants us to serve. Because to serve the way that Jesus serves never makes sense to those in this world. It doesn't make sense to many of us in the church. But he says he laid aside the garment. So what do we need to lay aside? In order to serve others. He took the towel, he wrapped it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Then he comes to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I'm doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Here's what Jesus is is saying, and it's a a symbolic gesture. It's something that Jesus is doing here, but he's he's washing the disciples' feet. And it's it's a picture of this cleansing that only Jesus could bring. A cleansing that only Jesus is willing and able to perform. And, and, and Peter is taken back. Jesus is his hero. Jesus is his Lord. Jesus is the one that he's given up his life and his career and everything else to follow. And he says, you're going to wash my feet? And then Peter stands up and says, no, no, Lord. You, you'll, I'll never allow that to happen. I ought to be washing your feet. And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash you, if I don't cleanse you, there's no one else that can. There's a lot of people in this world that turn to a lot of things to try to find forgiveness. A lot of times, they they, they may take up good deeds. They want to make up for the bad deeds in their life. And so they become these great, generous people that give of their time, of their money, that serve, that travel, that that are great philanthropists trying to, to, to be able to give something back, maybe to make up for what they're doing. But Jesus says, I'm the only one that can cleanse you. And so Peter's like, hey, then I'm all in, Jesus. Look at what he says. It says in verse 8, so Simon Peter says to him, Lord, then not just my feet, but also my hands and my head. Wash all of me. I'm, I'm all in, Jesus. I want everything that you can give. I want everything that you can do. And Jesus says, the one who's been bathed does not need to wash except his feet. In other words, Peter, you've, you've had a bath. You've been cleansed. We've taken a little journey. We've come here tonight. Your feet are dirty. That's, that's all. And, and, and this, is, this is, I think, uh, Jesus again trying to teach, saying, you know, salvation is something that's so critical that, that only Jesus can save us. But we still travel and we still get dirty and we still fall down. And those parts that get dirty and those sins that happen still need to be dealt with. But Jesus is saying here, look, this is, this is, this is me washing you. Peter, you don't need a whole bath. You just need me to wash your feet. That's all that's, that's dirty. He says, the one that's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you, the, the word you here is plural. He's talking to the group now. You guys are clean, Jesus says. But not every one of you. Who, who's still in the midst 
of the 12. Judas is there. I want you to think about this for just a minute, okay? Jesus, knowing everything that's about to happen, knowing that Judas is about to leave and betray him, Jesus could have postponed washing the disciples' feet until Judas was gone. All right? He knew what was fixing to happen. He could have waited five more minutes, and Judas would have been out of the room, Judas would have been gone, and then he could just wash the feet of those that are going to love him. Jesus doesn't do that. He, he, he that knows everything that's about to happen could have waited and said, you know what, oh, Judas, I'm going to wait until he's out there because I ain't dare washing those stinky feet. Isn't that the way that we treat those sometimes that oppose us? Isn't that the way that we treat those who turn against us? We, we look for opportunities to do good to those who love us, to those who praise us, to those who, who, who help us. But, but what do we do to those that are about to harm us? How do we look at those that, that, that turn against us? So Jesus says, look, you're clean. You're completely clean but not all of you. Verse 11, he says, for he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus is actually living out something that he taught very early in his ministry. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus uh, teaches something that's so easy to say and yet so difficult to do. He, he says in verse 32, if you love those who love you, what, what benefit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. And, and, and if you do good to those who do good to you, then what benefit is that to you? Because even the sinners do that. How, how is loving those who love you going to distinguish you as my, my, my follower? Everybody in the world does that. How is doing good to those who are going to do good back to you? How, how is that a mark of, of Christ on your life? Because even the sinners, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. So Jesus is, is after something that's going to distinguish us, set us apart from the world. And, and, and what he's saying here is if all you do is love those that love you, then eh, what good is that? Simply doing what the world does does not make you a better person. And it doesn't bring glory to God. So what good is just doing that, Jesus says. Verse 34, and and if you lend to those from those that you expect to to get back from, to receive from, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. I'll give you 20 bucks, you pay me back tomorrow. Everybody would do that. That's not a mark of of being a true believer, but, but here it is. Verse 35 but love your enemies. Oh, wait a minute. Really? Like, like are you for real? Lo- love your enemies and, and do good and lend expecting nothing in return? And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. You're going to look like God when you live like God. For he says, God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So be merciful, even as your father is merciful. 
Now, Jesus taught that early on in his ministry. And, and now here he is the, the night before his arrest, the, the, the day before he's going to be killed. And he's with his 12 closest friends. He's with those who have traveled with him for over three years. They've done life together. And one is going to betray him. And Jesus knew who that one was. And yet Jesus washed that man's feet. See, love is not blind to sin. Oh, love is blind. No, it's not. No, it's not. Love sees, but chooses to exercise mercy and grace despite the failures. Jesus could have waited until Judas left, but Jesus wanted to show us how to serve even those that will betray us. And so Jesus takes the towel, wraps it around him, becomes the, the lowliest of servants to wash the disciples' feet. Listen, guys, this is not about foot washing. They're about to hit the dusty road again. Walk all the way through town and back up a mountainside where Jesus will be arrested. This is not about, hey, we're fixing to go to bed. Let's clean our feet before we tuck ourselves into our sleeping bag. That's not what the, this is Jesus teaching them what it means to serve even those who oppose you, even those who will come against you, even those who will stab you in the back and walk away when you need them most. Let's keep reading. Verse 12, it says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand? Remember what he just said? You don't understand what I'm doing, Peter, but you will. Do you understand what I've done to you? Here's the lesson. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so am I. I'm your teacher and I'm your Lord. And do you know what I just did? I did the lowliest, most disgusting thing a servant can do for you. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, so also you ought to wash one another's feet. And by the way, if, if I've washed my betrayer's feet, there's a good sign of how you're supposed to live your life. Because we, we tend to focus on, on Judas here. We tend to, we tend to focus on, on what Judas did. But he says, if the Savior has served a sinner, <laughs> shouldn't a sinner serve a sinner? If the Savior has washed your feet and done the most lowly things, don't you think that you ought to do the same thing? For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Let's take this a step farther because you and I like to look at Judas's life and say, man, Judas, he was a, he was a piece of work. But I want you to think for just a minute, who else was in that room? Who else's feet Jesus washed? It wasn't just his betrayer, but it was his denier named Peter. It was the, the other ten who were going to tuck tail and run at the first sign of trouble. We, we like to, 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 to pull Judas out of the crowd and go, yeah. I'd never deny, I'd never betray Jesus. But we've all denied him. And we've all tucked tail and run when things got tough. Jesus didn't just wash his betrayer's feet. He washed those that really loved him but 
messed it up. Those that, that tried to get it right but seemed to get it wrong. And he says, I want you to do just what I have done to you. Guys, listen. I want you to do what I have done to you. So when we're walking hand in hand as believers and we get sideways with one another, what are we supposed to do? What Jesus did. When we try to do life together and and, and we fall and we hurt somebody else around us, what should we do when somebody hurts us? How should we respond? By serving them the way that Jesus served us. Now that's not natural. And that doesn't come normal. And without the help of the Holy Spirit, we will never get that part right. But, but here he's saying, I want you to do what I've done. I've just washed my betrayer's feet. I've just washed a guy who's going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And I've just denied the rest of you in this room who are going to betray me when the guards show up. Now I want you to do the same thing to those around you. I want you to love like Jesus loves. Not like the world back there in, in Luke chapter 6. Who loves those that love them. I'll love you as long as you love me. But man, you betray me and and we're done. No. That's not what God calls us to do. I've given you an example that you should do what I've done. Verse verse 16. (coughs) He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. What's he saying? If Jesus was not too important to serve others, then neither are you. Neither am I. If Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, was not too important to strip himself down, to wrap himself in a robe and, 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 and towel, and to wash people's feet, if he can do the lowliest of things, then you would think that you and I could do the service as well. A servant's not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, Jesus says... If you know that God created you to serve, blessed are you if you do it. If you know these things, then blessed are you to do it. It's not enough to know it. We come to church and we gather information. We come to church and we we hear God's word. We come to church and we learn something else that we're supposed to do. But that is not enough. The process doesn't stop here. It is to be lived out every moment of every day. So if you know what you need to do, then he says you're blessed when you do it. And then he says again, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. What God said in the Old Testament, and he's about to quote Psalm 41 here, what the scripture says will be fulfilled, that he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He's talking about Judas. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. I need to stop right there for just a minute. When you read that phrase that Jesus is troubled in his spirit, Let me me finish that verse. He says, he was troubled in his spirit and he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. What do you think Jesus was troubled about? Was he troubled about the betrayal? Could be. He knew it was coming. He knew he was about to be betrayed. Was Was he troubled about what 
the betrayal would lead to, crucifixion, that, that would be legit as well. But I think there may be something else here that Jesus was troubled about in his spirit. Jesus knew what awaited the one who betrayed him. And that troubled Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been guilty of doing this, but I, I certainly have. Somebody hurts you and you think, oh man, one day they're going to get their due. One day they're going to get what they deserve. And I wish I could be a fly on the wall and watch that. You ever said that? That's not Jesus. Jesus knows he's about to be betrayed. He, he knows what, what is coming. And, and in Matthew 26, look what he says. This is, this is so, I think, so tied into where we're at right now. Matthew 26, verse 24. He says, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. He just said the same thing over here in, in John. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. I think part of what troubled Jesus in his spirit was knowing what awaited Judas. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. What's Jesus saying? It had been better if Judas had never lived than to die without Jesus. The same thing can be said for every lost person that you encounter in the workplace. Every person that opposes you and stands against you, that, that tends to undermine you and strike you down. Every person that doesn't know Jesus, it's been better if they'd not been born than for them to die without Jesus. And Jesus had this compassion for those, even those that opposed him. So here's Jesus back in John chapter 13. He's troubled in his spirit. And he says, man, one of you is going to betray me. So the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. I love this part. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, talking about John himself. John always referred to himself as, as the one that Jesus loved. He was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. And so Simon Peter motions to him. Hey, John, John, ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Who's going to betray you? And Jesus answered, it is, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. Now, it sounds like Jesus is about to point out Judas and, and put him on the spot, right? But as I was reading this week about this, this was actually a, a, a sign of honor. When, when the person of honor at a, at a meal would take a piece of bread and dip it and give it to someone at the table, it was a sign of honor. He's, he's sharing his bread with you. He's sharing himself with you. And so the rest of the disciples see Jesus dip the bread and give it to Judas, and, and, and they don't understand what's going on. They think that Jesus is somehow honoring Judas. But John says, who is it? Well, whoever I dip the bread and, and give it to, then, then I will do that. So when he had dipped the, the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. They're still in the dark. 
They don't understand all that's going on. Jesus is working, and Jesus is understanding, and Jesus is, is orchestrating every event just as it has to, to happen. But here he is. He gives the bread to Judas. He, he says, Judas, whatever you're going to do, you go do it quickly. And no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him to go buy what they need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor, which, by the way, was a custom that, that at, at, at Passover time, that they were do some kind of gift of charity to somebody that was in need. And so because Judas is a treasurer, some of the table thing that Jesus is telling Judas, hey, look, it's time for you to go buy a gift and, and, and go help somebody that's poor. Take some money and go help somebody that's poor. Go do it quickly. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. He's been filled with Satan. Not only is it night outside dark outside but it's also dark dark inside for judas and so judas filled with darkness filled with satan leaves to betray jesus and when he had gone out verse 31 jesus says now the son of man is glorified and god is glorified in him And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And then Jesus says these final words. Little children, a little while longer I'm with you. You you will seek me, and just as I've said to the Jews, now also I say to you that where I'm going you cannot come. But a new commandment I give you. That you love one another... Just as I have loved you. Here's here's the commandment. Here's Jesus' final wish. Here's his desire. I want you to love one another. Just as I have loved you. Paul picks up on this in Ephesians, doesn't he? Where he says to the husband, husband, I want you to love your wife just like Jesus loved the church. Here he says to the disciples, I want you to love the world just like I've loved you. I want you guys to love one another just like I have loved you. That means on your good days and on your bad days. When when you get it right and, and especially when you get it wrong. Those who need to be loved the most are those who deserve to be loved the least. Jesus has just done for them what nobody else would do. Nobody else knowing that they're about to be betrayed would wash their betrayer's feet. Nobody knowing that they were about to be denied and and, and, and Peter's going to pretend he doesn't even know who Jesus is would wash the denier's feet. Who would wash the feet of those who are about to run out on you and leave you all alone? And Jesus says, guys, just as I've done that for you, I I, I want and I expect you to do that for others. And by this, verse 35, all people will know that you're my disciples. 
Not when you love those that love you. Not when you give to those who are going to pay you back. Not when you, when you, you, you do good to those who are going to do good to you. But when you do good to those who don't. When you love those who can't. When you give to those who can't repay. When you go out of your way to serve just because you love me and just because you're mine. Then the world's going to look at you and go, you know what, there's something different about that man. There's something different about that woman. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Why? Because like father, like son. They're going to see the resemblance of Jesus in you. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Men, our love for our wives ought to be so extravagant and so visual that the world gets a glimpse of how Jesus loves them. That's why God puts you in a marriage. Wives, the the way you love your husband back ought to give the world a glimpse of, of this love that Jesus demonstrated for us that we demonstrate to other people. So as we wrap it up today, let me ask you this question. Do you demand perfection from people or near perfection from people before you extend them your love? Do you just love those that love you? Do you just scratch the back of those who scratch your back? Do you just give to those that you know are fully able to give back to you? Because if you do, you're loving like the world. But Jesus' love is so much more. Do you demand this near perfection from others before you allow yourself to love them? And if so, how will you ever love anyone? Because none of us are perfect. None of us are even near perfect. And if we expect that and demand that from one another before we reach out in in Christian love, then we will never build the koinonia that God has called us to, to build. We will never love the way that Jesus loves. God says love despite the shortcomings. Love despite the failures. Love despite what you may know. If I, if I love them, I know I'm going to get stabbed in the back. Love anyway. Because that's what Jesus did. So let me ask you this question. Who are you loving? And who are you serving? That continues to fall short and bring hurt to your heart. There ought to be somebody in your world that, 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 that's, that's failing and you just keep loving them. And the world goes, why do you keep going back? Why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep setting yourself up for disappointment? And you go, because I just want to be like Jesus. And Jesus knew. And he still loved. And, 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 and maybe, just maybe, this, this, this love will one day break through. The way that it broke through in Peter's life. And the way that it broke through in those other apostles that were there with Jesus. I'm going to keep loving. 
and keep praying and keep hoping that this love of Christ will somehow break through that barrier and somehow demonstrate for them how much Jesus loves them. So who are you loving? Who are you serving that continues to fall short, continues to disappoint, continues to break your heart? Because you can't do that without the help of the Lord. See, the real test of the genuineness of our faith is not how we treat those that love us. But it's how we treat those that oppose us. How we treat those that hurt us, that fail us. How we treat our spouse when they fall short, they mess up. How we treat our child when our child disappoints us, lets us down, and makes that mistake. It's how we treat our coworkers that undermine us and cut our throat and keep us from getting what we think we deserve. It's how we treat them that demonstrates the, the real love and genuineness of our faith. And it's how we treat fellow Christians that wound us, walk away, leave us hanging, that disappoint us. That's what Jesus calls us to do. But he also calls us to have the same attitude in him that was also in Christ Jesus, who as he thought about the betrayal that was about to happen, he was troubled in his spirit because he knew what was waiting on Judas. How long has it been since the lostness of our world and, and, and what awaits those who don't know Christ. How long has it been since that has grieved your heart? We, we live in such a polarized world right now. And, and this group thinks that group's going to hell. And this group thinks that group's going to hell. And everybody thinks everybody's going to hell but me. Right? And when that other group stumbles and falls, the other side rejoices and cheers and plays the video loop again and again and again and again and again. Is that Christian love? Is that what Christ calls us to? Man, listen, Jesus could have belittled Judas in front of all those men. He said, let me show you, boy, who's boss. Let me show you what I know that you're about to do. And he could have turned those disciples on Judas. But Jesus didn't belittle Judas. Jesus honored Judas. Even in the garden when Judas shows up, Jesus calls him friend. How are you living that kind of faith out? How are you doing that where people can see that in your life? Because that's what God's called us to. Not to take great pride and great joy in thinking about what they're going to get one day because they're finally going to get their due. But being broken and troubled because we have a world that doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know genuine, real, authentic, agape love. And the only way they're going to see it and recognize it and know it is if they see it in us. So as we wrap up, let me ask you, is there room for growth in your life, like there's room for growth in my life in this area. 
Why not this morning as we close in prayer, ask God to help you. Ask God to create in you the same spirit that was in Christ Jesus. That that knows who we are in Christ. And because I know who I am, I know where I've come from, I know where I'm headed. I can humble myself and serve even those who might oppose me, hurt me, wound me. And do it all for the glory of God. So that when the world looks at us, all people will know that we are his disciples. Why? Because of the way that we love one another. Let's pray.